further to that, I guess I'm hoping in your bulletin you've received a little bless card that we put together just as we wrap up this series on um, how to bless your neighbour. And uh, if you've been away, you've been on holidays, uh, as uh, one of our staff members here has been away for three Sundays and and missed it. Um, Sorry, it's just good to have her back. Um, This will will be a good help. We're going to revisit this. We just wanted to uh, put together a short series on how to bless your neighbour. And I I love this acronym. It's the best acronym ever, Uh, even though B doesn't represent the first thing. So it's B in prayer, but um, it's close enough. You'll get it from there. All right, so I want to I want to go on from there and really just bounce off what Murray and Rhonda have shared about uh, this whole idea of of servanthood, because it's it's an overflow of life, and um, I've been guilty, uh, as all pastors are guilty, of a sin of omission. We tend to talk into what we know, we talk into you know what we sense God is leading, but there's a whole there's a whole gamut always of things that we don't. No, there's a whole spectrum of things that we don't understand and things that need to be emphasised that we aren't, we're ignorant that we're not being, we're not emphasising them. I did a study for some years about what were the key things in Scripture that Jesus emphasised when it comes to what is the work of the Holy Spirit in a human being's life. With the architecture that we have, body, soul and spirit, what are the key elements? If we distilled the whole thing down, if we could do that intelligently, what were the things that Jesus really focused on? And after a lot of years of just reading the Gospels and processing and putting it together, faith, living by faith, a life of freedom from sin and bondage and a life of followership where we follow Jesus, that exemplified his message so clearly. And for me, it was, it was a, a slam dunk. That was, this is, they're the three things. If you want to be living the Christian life, live a life of faith, be free and follow what he says. You'll, you'll, you'll find purpose in the whole deal. But my sin of omission there is there was one more F that I hadn't focused on. And that's what we're on about now over the last, uh, well, all year we've been, we've been leaning into this. And the last F is fruitfulness. Jesus talked a lot about fruitfulness, but he used it in words. I, I, I apologise, I didn't pick it up. And it's only been as I re-go through, I think he was all about fruitfulness. You look at what he did besides going to the cross. What was Jesus' focus? Replicating what he did in 12 disciples. He invested so heavily into leadership development, discipleship. And then he said, go and do the same thing. Go and make disciples. His his last command should be our first priority. Fruitfulness. Make disciples that go and do all this stuff that I've taught you to do. It's multiplication. It's exponential. It's fruitful. And somehow we've created a church um, uh, culture in the Western world where the norm is not multiplication, it's addition. So I hold up a card like this and, and we, get, we, we get very good at adding to our number. And that's in the Bible, it's in Acts, they added to their number daily. There's nothing wrong with addition. But what I'm finding is there's something happens between coming to faith and becoming fruitful where addition turns to multiplication. Something happens in this organic mess that is church life and discipleship and formation where we stop just worrying about adding to a church and we start being more concerned with the kingdom where we're fruitful and it goes way beyond our walls and we knock down the spiritual walls of a church and our focus is just as much outwards as it is in in the energy that we put inwards. So I've got another book to write, another course to write somewhere if I could find the time. They're taking longer and longer as I get older. But um, 
the fourth F of fruitfulness is a big deal. And so hence we're talking about how to be a blessing to your neighbour. As we come into this season of prayer, my goal, if I could have one, I have none, but if I, ha- if I could say here would be first prize, is that a number of us come out of that season saying, I want to start and do what Jesus and the disciples did and just gather some people in my home and just share with them the gospel in a very simple way, share with them kingdom life, do these sorts of principles and set up missional stations all around us where this begins to happen organically and just let God do what God does. My question before we started this church was, Lord, question one was, what if 50,000 people you were calling into your kingdom in our area? 50,000 people. Could the churches, not just our church that didn't even exist then, could we get out of the way and let that happen or would the church denominations and our buildings and our budgets get in the way because we'd start our logic based on what we have, not what needs to be? Could we get out of the way? No, it was so simple. It was so obvious. We couldn't get out of the way. We're enamoured with all this stuff. So if we can't get out of the way, what's the answer? What's a scalable way of doing Kingdom, what happened if Jesus came now? What if he started now? He didn't start 2,000 years ago. How would he build the kingdom? Fully scalable, not reliant, can use this stuff but doesn't rely on it. Loves lights but who cares? It's just it's, it's, it's a, a flame front of the kingdom going out. Fully scalable, self-sustainable. Could you do that? Because to me that's the only answer that matters when it comes to church world guys like me. We've got to get beyond the fact that we're adding to a church and having a big church here. We're, we're already too full. You've noticed that. Should we be going out then? Is that what we should be doing next? Or should I start 15 more church services here on a Sunday and, and wear us all out? That's the sort of stuff we need to be praying into. It's an untested idea in the West to contemplate. Let's, just, let's start some missional communities that this is still their home base, but we just go out and we do that. And we invest, say, one Sunday a month, not coming to church on Sunday, but we have a group of people in our home to have a barbecue and a meal, and we just release the kingdom the way Jesus would have done it. The way Ephesus, the church at Ephesus was not a church, it was the church. It was the Christians everywhere in that city. And there are Christians everywhere through Brisbane, and there's more that aren't Christians yet, that God's calling to be Christians. And to do that, we need to not be in here all the time. Doesn't mean we don't do this. There's 167 hours of the week left over. So we don't stop doing what works, but we can't let it exclude us from doing uh, what needs to be done. So you can just see I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm annoying myself right now. I just kind of think, how do we do this? Because um, uh, largely it hasn't been done. It's the Holy Grail. For, for the church and the kingdom in the West. And, um, but there are people smarter than me who are onto this and I've been really encouraged because I've invested my mind in not much else, uh, admittedly, for the last six months about how this can come about. How can, we do, how can we empower and send the church out without breaking the church so we don't lay another burden on people's backs and, and compel them to do what's not in their heart yet to do? How do we fill hearts and fuel mission? And so, as you know, I've been sort of all over the world now, if, if not physically, certainly as the contacts that I've made. And in Australia, there's some just brilliant people and, there are, and, and it is happening. And I'm not the only one talking about it. There are leaders all over Queensland, all over Australia. The Spirit is talking to all of us and we're coming to the same conclusion that what got us to where we are won't get us to where we need to be. Finally, we admit the obvious, you know, 
Over the last, uh, from 1990 through to 2016, uh, the number of churches in Australia decreased by 10%. From 2016 to, 20, for, to, to now, it decreased another 10%. I think that's fantastic. What an opportunity to just say, we need to get this together. We need to figure this out. And so uh, I'm just so encouraged that so many people are onto this now and, uh, and we're a part of that and we get to play quite a, a significant part in Queensland about that. It's, and I'll release more over the months to come. So we've been talking in the... I'm rambling, sorry. I just, this is what my, my wife has to have me listen to too often. What are you doing, Dar? Why aren't you watching TV? Oh, I'm doing a... I'm writing a paper or I'm figuring out a strategy. It matters. This is just what I'm on about. So we've started this series based in Genesis 12 uh, and the, the blessing that God gave to Abram. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Often our prayers are, that's where it stops. Lord, will you bless me? Will you make my name great? He says, well, I'm going to do that. But because I've done that, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Paul in the New Testament references this moment and says that this gospel, he calls this the gospel in its early form. It's a gospel of faith. Abraham was the father of faith, but it was articulated in this sense. This is the gospel that we're blessed and we give that blessing away, that we, we aren't just a bucket that receives all this stuff. We're made to be a river of blessing that comes and we give it away. And as we do that, somehow it multiplies even in us. Fascinating the way it happens. So we've been through BLE. B is be in prayer. L was to listen uh, for understanding. E uh, was to eat. And today we're talking about the two S's, first one of which is to serve. Uh, I was getting emails of people guessing what the last two were, so I thought I'll just let it out there. It's to serve and to tell your story. So when we're talking about serving, I'm not talking here about serving this church. We're now talking, we're, this is a kingdom mindset, which is not always the same as a church mindset. Um, so we're talking about serving those who are potentially far from God, our neighbours, uh, our work colleagues, our families and so on. And with this sort of serving, it's not the sort of service that has strings attached. There's no reciprocity in this. We're giving from what God's given us. We've been blessed and we're blessing the world. And so we're talking about serving people as a, as a way of sharing the gospel. So this BLESS acronym that we've got is really in many ways and often and sequential. We earn the right to share our story after we've prayed, after we've uh, served and listened and eat with, eaten with people and so on. Interesting thing, even reflecting off what Murray and Rhonda just shared, not all of us um, are do-gooder types. And yet the world expects that Christians, where we're those do-good people, it's nothing about relationship with God, it's just, you're the bunch that do the good things, right? You're the, you're the social justice people, you do all that sort of stuff. But not all of us are actually very comfortable being do-gooders. Uh, we're task-oriented. Lord, can't I, can't I build a very large company for you in Jesus' name? And it's, it's a job. We can do it. And I'll give a tenth of my income away or something. I'm not talking about that. We're, now I want to make it real that serving people isn't the same as serving the kingdom with our life um, and, and, and achieving something great. It's, it's bumping into someone face-to-face -face where you know their name, you know their story, you love them and you care for them and you give from yourself personally to that. I want to bring it right back down to stuff that all of us can do, any of us can do, and we can do it almost any hour of any day. And I'm talking about the impact of serving people around you in the way that they really need. So if you're a boss of people, there are many people who are company owners and, and uh, employers here, 
It's about how do I serve my employees? That's complicated. There's dual relationship potential going on there. How do I, how do, I do that? Or employees, how do I serve those around me? How do I serve my boss? Uh, how do I serve neighbours, friends, even strangers? How do I do that? How do, how do I let this come from me? And the proviso that has to go here is that I'm not talking about being a slave. I'm not talking about being a whipping post. That's, that, that's a whole separate conversation that needs a whole bunch of talk around that. I'm not talking about opening yourself up to a, being abused or being someone's sort of bond slave where they, they can misuse you. I'm talking about a posture where we add value to people by meeting their genuine needs. And sometimes we need to do that from a posture of, of, a, of a boss to an employer. How do we do that? How do I do that and still retain the posture where I'm still your boss, you know, but you still matter to me as a human being. And it comes down to a preparedness to put aside your own sort of hard-won status in life often, where I'm choosing to serve rather than having a posture of demanding service to me, where I've earned the right that people should come and, you know, do stuff for me because I am who I am now and I've, I've dedicated all these years to my life and so on. But you look at Jesus' model from Philippians and, and you, you can't escape this dynamic where, where we need to put aside all that earns us the right, so to speak, of being served ourselves. Jesus, it talks about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used. Some translations say something to be grasped or hung onto or, or hoarded, you know, as, as a way to justify other actions. He didn't consider that equality something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So he's deliberately taken a posture where I'm putting that aside. doesn't mean it's not real. I just don't need it. I don't have to do that because I'm coming from away. How do I serve the real needs of the people that I bump into? And it's interesting in that culture, uh, for Jesus to do that, it didn't actually make a lot of sense because he came into a culture that disrespected those who do that. He didn't do that as a way to earn respect. It was actually going to do the opposite. It was actually going to make the people who do demand respect look down at him because their whole social structure was based around the idea that the more important you are, the less that you do, or certainly the less menial jobs that you do. So he was deliberately taking a stance that offended those uh, who, who were looking at him in his life. And you may have been embedded in cultures like that through the world. I certainly have in different cultures where the higher up the tree you go, the less you actually do. Your job becomes to point the finger and tell people what to do. Um, and those sort of societies don't, re don't reward or admire hard work. Those who do the hard work, that's a sign of their lack of value. Um, and, and Jesus' culture that he came into was, had a very similar thing. So why did Jesus come as a servant? Well, his goal was not a, about that, and that's sort of the difficult thing to understand. It wasn't about being recognised necessarily as being the top dog in town. He, already, he had nothing to prove, and by proving that to everyone else, wasn't going to help the, the cause ultimately. So he came to meet human need, which, which nullifies all the arguments about all the other stuff. So his goal wasn't to be admired uh, nor reviled. It didn't make any issue. It was just a non-issue to him as it should be a non-issue to us. His goal was to meet those needs in people's lives. But he came as a servant, not as a slave. And we need to sort of, it's, it's easy to mix those things up. A slave is someone who's locked in, choiceless. A servant is someone who's made the choice. They're free to serve. In this, this way I'm framing it. It's a freedom that we all have. We are free to serve. We have enough blessing to give it away. We can make that choice. We're so aware of all that God's given us 
There is nothing left in our life to prove or no, no posture to uphold other than how can I give that away into someone else's life? So serving is to value someone else and to prioritise their needs in that moment over your own. And few things will impact you more than someone you, who you know especially is successful or someone who you know is, should be respected in life. And you know they're busy and they're, they're immensely talented, but they sacrifice their time for you. I sometimes tell our leaders and particularly the guys who, who get the, the honour to serve up on stage, the ministry doesn't end here. The ministry just begins when you step down because you're given, you know, you're up on stage, you're exemplifying, you're important for a moment because you're leading us all in ministry. But what matters is will that person stop and care enough to spend time with someone in the congregation they don't know and, and love that person? This, this is not the, the end of ministry, it's just the beginning. Same with myself. If I can't stop in the hallways and talk, then what am I doing? I'm just doing a job. But when someone you know does that to you, it just, there is just something about that where they don't talk about their qualifications or what they're doing. I know, and I'm preaching to the choir here because so many of us here are like that. And as a culture that I hope we protect, sometimes I know I've had to find out after a half an hour of questioning that, that some of the people who are sitting here own companies that sort of run the world, you know, or they're all over the world. Um, incredibly significant humans in the world system. And yet, they, when you say, what do you do? Oh, I work at a desk. Right, oh, what do you do at a desk? You know? And then you find out this, this person employs thousands of people. They influence all these lives. And yet, this meeting that we're having right now, they're posturing themselves saying, how can I encourage you? How can I be there for you? That's Christ-like behaviour. I, I just, it, just the fact that they've done that impacts me far more than anything else they've said. So they sacrifice their time. They don't posture, patronise, or anything else. And this is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another, build one another up. If we just did that, I, I cannot, you can't overstate this dynamic. If that was all we did on a Sunday, what's your goal on Sunday? It's to do that. Just what if I just did that? I came into the, and I just I came here to give someone else courage and to build them up. I'm not going to highlight to them where they've got, not gone wrong. I'm not going to get a list of all the stuff where they fail and the, and the thing that I think they should get to act together with. I'm not here to do that. My role is to build someone else up. I can give them what they can't give themselves. Imagine if we all just did that. Staggering. Um, and I know we would all want to, but we just we just forget somehow. Uh, we just forget. Let's not go there. So here are some principles to help you along about this sort of servant. The first one is proximity. And for the task-oriented in life who just want to get the job done, proximity is, is a major deal. When it, it just means I'm close to human beings. Don't lock yourself in an office. Uh, don't, don't lock yourself behind the sound desk or whatever job you're, you're doing that time. It's like, no, I'm here to rub up against people. I'm here to minister to people. I'm serving the people who are around me, my family or the ones I work with in the marketplace, people I bump into in the supermarket. Um, I found uh, in my recent trip overseas, my favourite thing to do was to actually just stop and talk to people. Taxi drivers are the most amazing human beings. If you ever get it, just ask them about their life. Uh, fascinating stories. And they just, people don't do that. But they feel it's just so bad and it opens up so many other conversations. So be close to people, emphasise the one-on-one -on -one and, and grind. So you can do this today. As soon as we dismiss you today, you can be blessing other people just like that. Just turn around and go, who are you? Share me your story. Be personal. I find, especially on the mission work uh, and particularly overseas, it, it was 
very important to not just give to a cause, not just give to an organisation, but you're giving to a human being and you've taken the time to know their story. Um, if you've got a compassion child, as many of us do, write the letter. Respond to the letter. Um, know the name, know the story, make it personal. Third one is power. So proximity, personal and power. Power, I'm talking there about the Holy Spirit's power. Don't give from what you don't have. Learn to lean into, like these guys, they experienced something because they went. And if they hadn't gone, they wouldn't have had that experience because you don't store up God's grace that he has given you to give away. It's a, it's a live stream. It's a download. It's as you need it, that's when, you, that's when it comes. And he teaches us and gives us um, power and experiences as we need it in a circumstance. Because we hold back, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm too afraid. I couldn't share the gospel. I couldn't do that. But wait till you start. Take the step. Yeah, I can because God's with me. And God does things that you can't do on your own. I know in ministry, uh, in pastoral ministry, there's just no way, no. You couldn't do what we, what's required of, of these sorts of roles without God's help. The moment you take your eyes off God and you start worrying about what everyone else is doing and saying, you, 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 you spiral down really fast. You, you, you've got to lean into God. You're my reference point. It's you that meets my need. It's your approval I'm seeking. Uh, what I need to repent of, let me repent of, but I'm just going forward because I want to based on you. And so this power comes from that humbly surrendering and intentional obedience to do what God's called us to do. So proximity, personal and power for those who are taking notes. But what we serve, we find, demonstrates what we love at the end of the day. And so for us to be able to serve people, we actually need to learn how to love people. And that can be the art in itself. Because our primary calling is not to success in the worldly situation. Service is success. Jesus defines service as success in his life. That's what he did. So God's given you a heart. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you time. He's given you resources and connections. But who gets all of that first? Where does all that go first? Is it into the house or the career or is it in the, in the people? What we find then is this service leads us to the next thing because as we serve people, you find it gives credence to the story. I remember my salvation experience was very much this one. I didn't know people were praying. No one had brought it up. I'd shared the whole thing. But until I saw the service of, of Christians, it just didn't make any sense to me. What's with you guys? You're smiling. You're nice to me. Don't you know how broken and busted and cranky I am? You know, you don't want to, why would you do that for me? I'm, I'm, you know, and then that opens up this next phase of the story. And this is often where we freeze, sharing my story. Now, I'm not talking here necessarily, or it could be included in sharing the story of the gospel, but hopefully by that stage, if you've gone on BLES, you've actually demonstrated so much of the gospel that that's told much of the story for you. But tell, I'm talking about telling our story, your story. But I haven't got a story. Well, welcome to the club. Most of us haven't got a radical testimony of life changed. Um, most of us in church world, or the majority, put it that way, grown up in church world. You go, oh, but I haven't got a dark versus light story like you, Hegarty. You know, you were really bad and ordinary. Now you're, now you're holy as the Pope. It's easy for you, you know. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. But we all have, it. We all have our story because we're called to be witnesses. A witness tells their story, the truth that they've experienced. And it's crucial to understand that you don't have to manufacture a story that is not true. 
And it's the truth of our story. Just as much those who've grown up in church world and can't remember a day when they gave their heart to Christ, it's just become their life. That story is just as significant as those who've done that and failed and backslidden and sort of come back. Or for those of us who've lived in witchcraft and now we're a priest or something, they're all significant because they're all true and someone who's had that experience is is an experience that needs to be heard because all of us fail. We all understand what it's like to not be a good Christian, but we also know what it's like when we lean into God in faith and he changes things in us bit by bit. That is a story that I need to hear, that the world needs to hear. It doesn't need to always be, it was black and now it's white. It's like, I screw up as much as anybody else, excuse my language. I I, I fail. I do things for my own strength and Christians do dumb things and we, we, we make big arguments that shouldn't be there. We do crazy stuff. That's what's happening when we're living from our old self. But if I lean into God, if I, if I trust him and I receive his peace, that stuff doesn't matter to me anymore. Big issues become small issues and I understand the peace of Christ and the joy that comes from that. That's just my messed up testimony of life. And people will go, they go, I get that because I see you and I know when you fail. And you don't have to justify yourself and go, well, I, I, I'm holy. You know, no one, everyone knows you're not. It's okay. What they want to know is, is God good and is God real? And can he affect our life if you lean into him? Tell that story, and that story is powerful. And God will give you the words. Matthew 10, 18, he says, On on my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, hopefully you won't be arrested. Uh, Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. This is the promise. Don't worry about that. At that time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The good arguments are always trumped by good news. You just tell them your truth. Sometimes you won't share because we just don't want to impose on people. The truth is you're imposing on people all day. You're actually already, you're already imposing on them because you always bring yourself to the table. You're actually always there anyway. But N.T. Niles said Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Sharing your story is not a self-justifying uh, presentation of your perfectness. It's just saying, I need this bread that Christ gave. Here's where you can get it. Romans 10, 14 says, how can they believe if, if in the one of whom they have not heard, how can they hear without someone preaching? <laughs> preaching. Now, we're not talking about this preaching. It may be. But preaching means to proclaim, to proclaim the word of God. There just comes a time where we are given the honour of proclaiming this truth and we shouldn't hold back because God gives us a word and it's his spirit who does the work. He's the one drawing people in. Just hit the next slide there and uh, this, is a, this is my lesson from Ireland, the one thing I learned in six weeks overseas. Mate, these guys can do stuff with potato you can't imagine. I'm a mashed potato guy, maybe chips if it's a big day, but they, every, you can, you can, whatever meal you get, you're going to get nine types of potato come with it over there. And it, it's, it's true. This is actually a Catholic meal because in Ireland, in the Republic, they're all Catholic. If, if you can do all this with potato, think of all that God can do with you. Isn't that brilliant? We're all different. We're all served up a different way. I don't know. I could stretch this out. But... 
Charles Stanley, uh, I'm a, a bit of a disciple of Charles Stanley's writing, but he said, God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so, so simple. One person telling another about the Saviour. Yet we're busy and full of excuses. Just remember someone's eternal destiny is at stake. It's a high-stakes game we're in. You know, we don't, don't hold back because you don't think it's important. It, the stakes just don't get any higher. The joy you have when you meet that person in heaven will far exceed any discomfort you felt in sharing the gospel. And sharing God's truth, you know, uh, somebody with a great argument is never at the mercy of somebody who's got a, a, a good experience, other way around. A good experience always trumps a good argument. I love this story in John 9 about the, the, the blind man that was healed. Jesus, he's done the mud in the eyes, he's done all the offensive things with spit and mud and all this. But, but the bottom line is the guy's been healed. They've never known him in this area as anything but the blind guy. He's, who's he? He's the blind guy. I don't know what his name is. He's just the blind guy. We all know him because he can't see. Been like that forever. So he gets healed, but, but it's all the wrong time and the, and the, the local you know, nutjob, arrogant, judgmental, religious folk, the Pharisees decide... Completely missed the point about it. This guy's been healed. They want to, they want to nail Jesus because that's their agenda. They want to, don't worry about that. We want to get this guy out of town. So they summon him in and, and it's a completely intimidating setting. He's one and they're all lined up there. And they, and they say in John 9, uh, give glory to God by telling us the truth. In other words, tell us what we want to hear. We're not going to accept anything else. We know this man's a sinner. I love that line. We know. We know. Really? Yeah, we know. How do you know? Oh, well, we made the phone calls and got the backstory of his past. We rang up his brothers and everyone in his hometown. We asked the question, did he ever see Jesus do something that he didn't like? Oh, yeah, oh, he's imperfect. We know this guy's a sinner. Just kangaroo courted the whole thing. And so they got the Twitter feed. They've got the, the past testimonies, a whole lot. We know this guy's a sinner. And I love the response. Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I, all I know, I can't argue with you guys. You may have a bad report. You may have a, a biography that speaks to you. I don't know. All I know is I can see and I just don't care about anything else. This is what happened to me. This is my experience. I wonder if you've had an experience or whether you've just forgotten because I'm sure we all have experiences where it, it may be as simple as you have a quiet time in the morning and, and God prompts you through his spirit to, to go to a scripture. That's an experience. That's a testimony right there where you started the day anxious and you, you ended that moment with peace and joy. That's a testimony. Somebody might have prayed for you and you've received a healing. You might have heard of someone who's had the same. What are the stories that are really you? Because no one can argue with that. And it's impacting. They might not let you know. You might get the stony pat face in reply, but, they, you know, it, it goes into their heart. So let me give you a very simple, very simple way, three, three elements to your story. And remember, this story isn't necessarily the story pre-Jesus in the sense of I was blind, now I see. It may be I was a numbskull and now I'm working through God's peace. That may be the story. So the first one is my life without Jesus. So don't worry about the size of the testimony. Just bring the truth. What, what am I like when Jesus isn't in my life, when it's just left a good old me? Second thing, how, do, how I met or engaged with Jesus. So what, dif, what happens? How? How do you? This is the next obvious question, people. How do you do that? How do you pray? Does he talk back? How do you lean in? What's faith look like for you? How does it feel? And you just say, for me, it's just like this. So this is what it's like when it's just me. But if I do this, 
if I meet Jesus in those difficult times, if the Spirit comes in my life, the next thing is what Jesus changed in my life. This is the response. If I am like that when I'm left to myself. This is how I engage with God. And when I do, it looks like this, and I love it. Simple as that. And no one can argue with that. Those three very simple elements to your story. So that's bless. That's the bless practices. And you can summarise it on your card there. So be praying, listen, eat, serve. So I hope all of us, and we've got on the back there a very simple thing. Now the last thing I'm going to do is get you all to sign that and send me an email saying, yes, I've committed with a covenant with blood uh, that I'm going to do that. Um, I've seen that attempted. It doesn't work. Um, no, but just go. And just as, just as I trust you with the finances of this church, the same thing we've always done, I trust God completely in your life to tell you what you should give without coercion, without coercion in the same way. Take that up. And we'll keep coming back to it and we'll, we'll use that as language. I just, I just love the language of bless. To be praying for, it's just so simple because I, I came in for years with a practice of asking the question, Lord, who do you want to bless in this room or who do you want to bless in my life? So I'm hoping it's language that we just never let go of without it being burdensome or, or, or chick, what's the word? Cheap, chick, something, you know what I mean? So hopefully we can take that on as just one of the tools um, that we can offer and follow that sequence in people's life. Have the names there, put it on your fridge or, or do whatever you do and be seeking to bless people and follow God's promptings with that. So that's fantastic. Now you are endorsed pastors from this church. You're endorsed ministers, I should say, from this church. You've been inducted, trained, equipped, paid your dues. So I want to release you. You are as authorised as I am to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that truth. So I send you... <laughs> I send you, go, make disciples, make a start. It's going to be so simple. The next steps, which we'll start talking about, is how, to, how would we get people in a home? We're going to equip you in that. We're going to equip you in a very easy way to share the story of the gospel itself. We're going to give you all those little tools, and it's going to be easy. Let's stand together and pray as the band comes up. Father, we, I just want to release this blessing as you have blessed us, Lord, may we go and bless other people. Lord, I pray that you just give us the faith to put first what you put last, to go and make disciples of all people. Lord, we're so excited and, and we acknowledge a little bit of nervousness as well. But re we remember that you promise that it's your words. We, just, we take a step, you go with us. So, Lord, I endorse these ministers of our church 200 or so, probably more today, 200 ministers to go, to go. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the names, the faces and the opportunities just to be themselves as you are with them, that they would give away the blessings that we have received. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. And I would just like to have prayer. Uh, part of part of the... Um, the next season of prayer is where we're calling on God's, relying on God's presence to be part of that. Uh, one of the ministry team brought a word of knowledge uh, just through the worship for someone who needs healing in the area of their left leg. There's a pain in the left leg that's gone all the way up your leg as far as it can go. Um, there's, Lord's healing is here for you this morning. And if you want to receive that healing, just to come on over or you can just take it where you are um, and the, the ministry team will be able to pray into that with you. But if you need healing, 
you need the Lord to work specifically in your life, please come and receive prayer over there, either through this song or after the service. And uh, we'd love to hear the testimony of that. Bless you, everyone, and have a great morning. Let's worship together.